How are you all? Thank you for being here from the absolute bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us today. We're in a very, very exciting place in the Word of God. It's kind of rep repetitive for those of us that have been here, and that's my fault. And, and, and I, I, I kind of tread um, fearfully that I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, and I don't want to do that. But what I want more than anything is that you and I would understand what the Lord has for us as a people that, that is so relevant within the Word of God that we might know and understand Him. And so I'm going to try with all of my heart to say this as clearly as I can today. Let me just share with you uh, the, the musicians. The, this Wednesday night, we're having what we call Rock Harvest. It's Halloween night. We want to have a, a safe, uh, atmosphere for our young people and for all of us to come and just to have a wonderful time. There's going to be, I, I, I think, plenty of food. There's going to be a, a games and, and even extreme games if you want to uh, to do that here. We're going to have some athletes in, in, in our church and, and in the community that uh, uh, will sign autographs. In fact, we made these uh, cards, these um, baseball cards that are very uh, similar to what you would get through a uh, a card dealer, but these will be a little bit better. They even have a little space on the bottom for the signature, and on the back is um, a, a track on how to know and to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's quite a nice little um, track that, that we made here at the at the office for the, the guys to sign. We have a, some of our own people going to do that, and we're just going to have a wonderful evening. It really would encourage you to come. I mean, even if you don't have a, a, a young person to bring, just to come and to encourage one another and to have fellowship with one another, maybe a, an opportunity to bring a neighbor or a friend that, that you've been asking to come to church and for one reason or another they, they haven't come yet, but maybe they could come to something like this and, and hopefully uh, feel or see something different amongst us that, that might draw them back. So this Wednesday evening, if you need more information, it's in, your bull, it's in the bulletin or... You can go out to the, uh, the foyer out here, and uh, they have the information needed for you. Just hope to see you. Um, I'm, I'm excited about being here Wednesday night, so we'll have a, a good time together. Would you please, um, before we read anything, would you pray with me? Um, what I'd like to ask you to pray for today is you'll listen to me pray, I'm sure, but um, just that God would touch our hearts um, and, and, and would reveal what is so relevant to uh, us as a, as a body of believers that we have um, kind of stopped uh, in Acts chapter 20 and, and backtracked to Acts chapter 2 to see what uh, a New Testament church is to look like and, and how we are to function and the orders that were passed along to the apostles that were given to the next generation. And as I've said over and over again, it's been passed on from one generation to the next to where it is now with us and, and what are we going to do with this information that we have and, and how do we know we have the correct information and so I just would pray that, uh, that God would touch all of our hearts in this fashion uh, that we might understand these things because I think critical to a church is to, is to know and to understand uh, what and how and we're to function as believers let me try to explain it before we pray let me just, let me just share with you God has given very specific orders for us as a, as a group of believers. Um, 
We call it a church. As a matter of fact, when the church was first formed back in the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the message, 3,000 people came to believe. They assembled together. And when they assembled together, they called that church. The terrible thing that uh, went uh, through and still is going within our country right now, here in Southern California at least, is the fires. Just devastating. And um, it, it has probably affected every single one of us. I know my niece and, and her husband and their two children had to abandon their home. And then they moved in with my sister and uh, my brother-in-law, her mom and dad, and in San Diego and, and lived there for a few days, not knowing if the fires were going to just destroy their home or not. And so we were talking back and forth and prayed with them and, and all, of, all of that. I was listening on the radio <clears throat> the other day, and I heard a very interesting tag about uh, staying on listening to this program because they said something to this effect. happened real fast, so I don't remember the exact words of it, but it was kind of like this. It said all the fires uh, ravaged. They were talking about Beverly, I mean, excuse me, Malibu. And... Uh, it said even um, a church was burnt down, but the pastor has a, a different perspective, something like that. So after the news, I mean after the information, uh, the commercial. So I'm hanging on. I want to hear what, the, what is this pastor going to say? So they asked him, is it true that your, uh, your church burnt down? He said, um, no, not technically. Basically, this is what he said. He said, we just lost our building our church, he says, as far as I know, yeah, yeah, good for him. I was, me too, I was all right. He says, as far as I know, our church, not a person died, so we haven't lost a soul. I think for most people, listening to that went, you know, like this. But I was like, all right, way to go, way to go. The church is you and me. This building is a building, that's all. It's best we could find under the circumstances we were under. Parking, space, best we could find. Maybe the Lord has something different for us in the months and years ahead. Don't know. If not, I'm as happy as could be in here. I love this place. Um, and so what we need to know is if we are this church, what does that mean to us? How is it going to change your life? How are you going to function as a believer? What is called of you to do? Do you know? Last week I made mention. Paul said over and over again, he is going to finish the course that the Lord God had given him to run. And I made mention to you last week boldly that I know my course. I really feel like I know the course that God has given me to run. And it is a freeing experience to know at least believe in your heart of hearts that you know the race that you are running before the Lord so that when you are through, you can finish the course that He has given you to run. And you're not on the wrong course. You're just running with no purpose, like Paul says, you know, boxing as if beating the air, running without a purpose. The way I see it is kind of like this. And let me, forgive me, but I usually revert things back to sports. It's like if people came here from a foreign land and, and went and watched the baseball game. Now, most of us know baseball. But if they watched the game, they wouldn't know that if four pitches are outside the area of what we call home plate, 
and it's about this wide, depending upon the umpire. Some of them make it. Some of them, John, where you at? <laughs> some of them make it this wide. And for you, some of them made it that way. I got you. So the plate's approximately this wide, and it's the strike zone's normally between here and here. And if the pitcher throws four pitches and, and doesn't cross that plate or doesn't fit in this area, you get to go to first base. But if he throws three pitches inside of that area and you swing and miss the last one, you're out. They don't know that. And then when you go to first base, you stand at first base, and if you hit the ball and someone runs and catches it before it hits the ground, you're out. But if it hits the ground and you get to first base before the ball gets there, you're safe. So they're trying to figure all this out, and they can't. There are so many Christians today that are playing the game of Christianity and really don't know all the rules. They don't know the ins and outs of it all. I've played baseball so long. Forgive me, John. But I think I could be a big league manager. I don't think I could handle pitchers. I would, I would hire you immediately. <laughs> but I think I could handle the game. As a matter of fact, the other day, my wife and I were watching the playoffs. The Yankees were playing Cleveland. Now, I have some sort of infinity. I don't know why for A-Rod. He doesn't need my help. He's making more money than, you know, <laughs> he's making a lot of money. <laughs> and, but I, 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 and my heart aches for him because... There's nothing worse than to play baseball and get booed at home. You know, it's just, and baseball is a game that must be played relaxed. You, you, you got to relax to play the game. If you tense up at all at home plate trying to hit, and a guy throws a ball about 90-some miles an hour, and you just have that little, that little hiccup, you're, you're not going to hit that ball squarely. And, and I, I watch A-Rod suffer through the, postseason, and I think, gosh, I just feel so sorry for this guy because they're, they're beating him up. And the more they're beating him up, the more he grips that bat, and the tighter he grips it, the harder it is for him to hit it. And it's just, it compounds itself. And we're watching the game, my wife and I, and it's about the seventh, eighth inning, and the game is well in hand. One way or the other, I forget even who's winning. And A-Rod's coming up. And I say to Kay, game's out of hand, he's come up to bat, and I say to Kay, He's going to hit a home run, watch. He's going to hit this ball out of the ballpark, or he's going to hit the ball very hard somewhere. She doesn't say anything to me. Two or three pitches later, he hits the ball out of the park. I felt like Nostradamus or something. <laughs> the reason I, I felt like I knew that is because I knew that when he had went up to bat that time, he was relaxed. There wasn't, the game wasn't on the line. There was nothing to win or lose at that point in time. He was just going to go hit. And he could just kind of relax and hit the ball. And Kay looked at me and said, how do you know that? And I said, I know baseball. I know baseball. What I want is to know my faith that well. What I want is for you and to me that we would know what we believe so well that we know what makes us get tense. We know what can make us relax. We know how we can walk this walk called Christianity to the best of our ability. Today, I want to explain to you why it is you and I must know the Word of God. We must know the rules. 
or we're going to be like so many quote-unquote Christians out there that are in the game, so to speak, but they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue of what is their purpose in life. And there may be some of us here this morning that don't have a clue yet. But we're going to show you a video in a while that's going to show you that you and I can catch what the Lord is teaching us. And it comes through His Word. So what I want to ask you to do is pray with me. That God would, as it says in Psalms 119, verse 18, that God would open our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from His law. I pray that almost every week. That's out of Psalms 119, verse 18. Dear Father, would you please do that? Would you afford us the wonderful privilege of opening our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our thoughts that we might behold wonderful things from your law? Teach us, Father, that we might not be um, just walking around in a haze in this life we have called Christianity when we, we are called for a purpose. We are called to run a race. We are called to finish the course that you have given us. And so many, Father, don't have a clue what that race is like and uh, what that course is. Teach us, dear Father. Move me aside so that we might hear from your heart this day and so that we might, if by your grace, be conformed into the image of your Son, so that we might know what we know and therefore live out what we are to live out. Bless us, please, Father. Bless us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, one of my deepest fears is to beat this horse to death. So forgive me if I do. Let me know. I promise you I'll back off. We have said for a few weeks now, if not longer, there is one similar theme that runs through Scripture, and I will prove it again to you today. That theme is, once you and I believe in Jesus Christ, we have been called. Would you look at Acts chapter 2? I'm sorry, I didn't tell you even to turn there, did I? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're only going to be there for a second. Then I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew, and then ultimately uh, 1 Peter, and then ultimately we're going to go to uh, the book of Psalms, 119th chapter. But right now... Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. When Peter preached the message on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people believed, when 3,000 people believed, all of a sudden there formed a church, a gathering of people together of like mind, of like heart, of like belief. They trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's all they knew. They didn't know much else. And so Peter asked them in verse 42 of one thing that is a common theme throughout all of the Bible, and that is we want you to be, God wants you and me to be continually devoted, wanted to be people continually devoted to God, to the church, and to His Word. And it is seen, these, this devotion is seen specifically through six orders that were given to the apostles that they passed on to the church. And it has been given, hopefully, to every single believer after that. And it is from verse 42 to verse 47. In verse 42, they were to be continually devoted to four things. 
the teachings of the apostles, that's first and foremost because that is what gives you and me the ground rules. That's what tells us four balls and you go to first base, three strikes and you're out. It kind of tells us how to live our faith. Without knowing the word of God, you and I will not know the rules. So we are to be continually devoted to the teaching of the apostles. But second, we are to be continually devoted to the fellowship. In other words, to encourage one another. And in a week or two, we will teach on what it means to have true fellowship within the body of Christ. But not only fellowship, but also to communion. The reason for communion, and you already know this, but we'll, we'll use it, we'll do a service on it. At least we are to remember. We're to remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, the forgiveness of our sin. Fourthly, we are to pray, to pray for one another. The power within a church, the power within your life and my life is the ability that we have to go directly, boldly, confidently to the throne room of God and give Him our requests. Also, we are to be a church that that supports the church, that gives financially to make the church run, and we are to also to be a people who praise and worship our God. We'll talk on all six of those subjects. Now, a young man came to me last week. I'm trying to see if he's here. He came to me last week, and he pointed out to me correctly. He said, you know, I think on those six traits that you pointed out, the last two, sharing and worship, they flow out of a life that is continually devoted to the first four three things, to the teaching of the Word, to fellowship, communion, and prayer. I said, I think you're right. More than that, I, I thought to myself, how wonderful this young man is really examining what the Word means to him and formulating within his own mind and his own heart and his own being what the Bible has to say. Now, I know there can be many thoughts on these six traits that we see in verses 42 to 47, but I think all of us would have to agree that at least the apostles taught these ideas so that they, back then, at at the, after the day of Pentecost when the church first formulated and now us today may function as a unified body of believers called the church. And therefore, we are called to make an impact upon the world that we live for the sake of Christ. If you ever wonder why is it that you and I draw breath in the morning It is for one reason and one reason only. The reason we come alive in the morning is the same purpose that we live, and that is we live to glorify God in and through our lives. That's the purpose of a Christian life. Now, what does that mean? Well, the apostles are going to teach us through the Word of God what it means that we would live our lives to glorify our Lord. You see, God has not left us out there kind of alone. On on the contrary, he has turned now to Matthew chapter 28. God has commanded every single one of us who believe in him to go into the world in which we live to teach and to lead and to reach people 
into a trusting faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. But the question is, how, how, how can a Christian lead and teach and, and bring a person to a deeper faith and trust if they don't know the rules, just like in baseball? Listen to what Jesus Christ said to his followers. And read it and look at it closely. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Verse 16 says, The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. In other words, meet me here, fellas. Meet me on this mountain. So they're there. When they, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. I personally relate to verse 17. Some were doubtful. Have you ever doubted your faith? I don't want you to raise your hand. I will just tell you because I'm up here and ask that question. I have. I, it might not be mysterious to some of you, I see almost everything half empty. So the thought of that there's a God up there so that, that I have eternal life because of my faith in Jesus Christ, there's times where I wonder about all of this. You need to know. I do. I love the fact that some doubted. I would have been in that group. Are you sure? What do you think? I don't know. Me neither. Whoa. What are we doing here? Why do we come to this mountain? Whoa, my gosh. You know, I could just hear me complaining. But I love verse 18. Jesus came to them and he kind of spoke to their doubts. Listen to what he says. He came up and he spoke to them saying, Look, all authority has been given to me, both in heaven and here on earth. I love that he has the gumption, that he has the, 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 the power to say such a thing. I mean, imagine all authority has been given to me, Jesus Christ says, whether it's in heaven or here. So rest your doubts, guys. Rest your doubts. I love that he says that. It's a, it's a statement of who he is. It's, a, it's the power that flows through his very, very being. All power is mine. All authority is mine on, in heaven and here on earth. Since that's true, and if that's true, he says in the next verse, verse 19, so therefore I want you to go. I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 20, now wait, if, he, if you just take verse 19 and you say, go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... Okay, but what? How? Tell me what you mean. And then he says in verse 20, I want you to, to do something. I want you to lighten, darken the room. <laughs> and, uh, and I want you to... <laughs> no. <laughs> about that, you know. I knew that was going to happen. I asked God for a sign. No. No, I didn't ask. I want to see my notes. <laughs> So he says, look, here's what I want you to do in verse 20. Thank you, Lord, because I didn't. I want you to teach the people to observe what? To observe all that I have commanded you. Folks, look, he did not leave those disciples alone or ignorant. 
He told them exactly what he wanted them to teach. He wanted them to teach the people that they reach all the things that he had taught them. And lo, he says, I am with you always, even until the end of this age. In other words, I will be there from generation to generation to generation because after you're gone, disciples, you have to pass along what you learned from me to others. And they will have learned it from you. And then after they're gone, they're to pass it along to the next generation and so on and so on until it lands in our laps. And you and I are to know what we have been taught so that when we reach people for Christ and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we know what to teach them. And what we teach them is what the apostles passed along to us. The essence of the Word of God. Fellowship with one another. Communion and prayer. Supporting the church financially and praising and worshiping God with all of our hearts, our souls, and our mind. Otherwise, why else would we need to know the Word of God? But he says, I want you to be continually devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Why else would we have fellowship with one another? Well, he says, I want you to be continually devoted to fellowship so that you can encourage one another. When a person is down, you can be there to lift them up because this bad old world out there is going to beat you up. This ought to be our sanctuary where we fellowship with one another. Where else are we able to, go to God, be able to go to God over and over and over again and, and experience His love and the forgiveness of our sins than through communion? Teaching the Word, fellowship, communion, and really understanding and remembering what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross and understanding the forgiveness that He wants to give us. Where else can we go to receive the power for the moment and for the future to quench our fears, to give us strength, to cure us of our ills, than to go to Him in prayer. And to go to Him, He tells us confidently and boldly so that we know for certain that when we go there, He hears our prayers. How else are we to go to this world in which we live? How else are we to lead other people, teach other people, and bring other people into the faith other than the support of the ministry of the church through your giving, your faithfully giving of your finances to this church so that we can reach people for Christ? And when we reach people for Christ, what are we to teach them other than to worship and to praise our Lord? And how can we do that if we've never experienced it ourselves? So these six traits are critical to your life and my life. Yeah, there are orders that have been given to us as believers. There is a purpose for everything we do within these four walls. And we cannot accomplish it individually. We've said that over and over again. We desperately need one another. And oddly enough, God has made it, left us here, and He goes away And he left us here to accomplish what he has asked us to do. 
He has entrusted you and me with the orders to go and to baptize and to make every nation into believers as much as we can. And we have been, been ordered to teach them to observe the things that he has taught the apostles. Would you kind of cue the, the video? We're going to see a video in a moment. This video was done by David Briggs. He's not here. He came to church last night. He is another gift that God has brought to this church. He uses his ability to do video as good as anyone in the United States of America. But God wants you and me to follow after his plan. He has given to the church the ability to unify ourselves the ability to equip one another, the ability to build up the body of Christ, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. I've asked you to kind of make this a a verse that you might understand. The gifts were given three things, basically, in this verse is very simple. If you kind of put it in this thing. We are to equip one another, equipping the saints, for the work of service so as to do the ministry that God has called you and me to do, And lastly, so as to build up the body of Christ. The reason we desperately need one another is to do that. The strongest way to do it is through knowing the Word of God. Craig Brand um, was gracious enough to allow us to film him. uh, And David Briggs put this beautiful piece together that explains the wonders of God's Word. Would you watch with me, please? I've been involved in the daily Bible reading again filled my heart up with the spirit every day Um, there's been definite changes in myself you probably would have to talk to my family to get all the details but just um, definitely more of an awareness more of an understanding um, much more patience with uh, situations and the daily Bible reading just secures your heart and understanding that he is in charge in all situations and If we do the things that he requires of us, he will continue to bless us. Just understanding that, uh, you know, that morning I had just read God's word and his message for me that day was in that word and I took that with me. It's like putting on our suit of armor as Ephesians 6 talks about as we get dressed for battle and go into war as we go into the world. It is just critical to fill your heart up with the word of God. Uh, Matthew uh, 12, 34 says, The overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And um, if your heart is full of, of the Spirit and God, and as you go out into the world, your mouth will speak those things. And um, I think it's critical as Christians to be armored and filled up with God as we encounter uh, the daily battles in the world. God will truly bless us, folks, as Craig said, as we follow him. He will use the reading of the Word of God that particular day for something we might need in the near future. 
He will pull, as Craig said, fill our hearts with the word of God so that we might speak out of things daily. Let me share with you, without a deep understanding of the word of God, nothing else that you and I attempt to do for ourselves or for the Lord will work. It will simply be window dressing. It'll be frivolous, your faith. You and I need to know what it is that God has asked of us, how he wants us to live. First and foremost, a person cannot come into a deep and knowledgeable walk with Christ without first knowing the word of God. You and I need to know what it is that we are to do for God. We we also need to know how he has told us to follow after him while we do these things. You see, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, would you please, 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, eternal life is all wrapped up into one very precious and neat package. And Peter tells us, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he says, Peter, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the, note, living an enduring Word of God. Born-again people are born again by the living and enduring Word of God. First and foremost, what you and I say must represent what God says for a person truly to be born again. That is an imperishable seed. And there are a lot of people passing out misinformation about what it is to be religious or to have a right walk with God, and they're planting perishable seeds. To be truly born again comes through the living and enduring Word of God. Listen, not obeying the Word of God is where all different denominations spin off towards and from true Christianity. Cults, religious beliefs begin by not knowing and obeying the Word of God. Not knowing and obeying the Word of God is where it is the beginning of heresy. That's why it it breaks, it ought to break your heart and my heart when we realize there are churches out there that opens the doors to people to come in and because they do not want to offend any of the people who are visiting, they ask the people not to bring their Bibles, not to open up the Word of God because it will intimidate and offend those that come in. And I say, if I ever had the chance to that pastor, you might not offend those who are visiting, but you are offending your God by not preaching the Word of God. It is the Word of God which allows a person to truly be born again. It is through the living and enduring Word of God which is imperishable that touches a person's soul and heart. It is the very essence of life itself that you and I know and understand and believe the written Word of God. Now, with that in mind, I want to close with this thought. Turn to Psalms 119. It is the longest chapter in all of Scripture. It is normally called the great chapter. But it is called the great chapter not necessarily because of the length of it, 
but really it is called the great chapter because of the content. With the possible exception of two verses, out of these 176 verses, every verse is given to the praise of the Word of God. If you're you're at Psalms 119, if you'll note on verse 18, for instance, what I say almost every week comes out of this great Bible chapter. Verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. This great, great chapter is a very interesting one indeed. Whoever wrote it, some say David, others say Ezra. We don't know for sure, and to me it doesn't really matter. Really, the, the author has, has been revealed, and it's God Almighty who breathed into the very essence of the people who wrote it, his thoughts. And so God makes this a very interesting chapter. For instance, in the Hebrew language, there are 22 letters. Like we have, what, 36? A, B, C, D? No? 26. (laughs) Close. I went to SC. What do you want? (laughs) 26. I said 36 last service too. Oh, man. Trust me. This is what you have to work with. God does use the very, very stupid things in this world to confound anything. Let me tell you, we have 26 letters, A, B, C, D. That's as far as I'm going. Uh, Hebrew has 22. In this chapter, there are eight verses given to every letter. Eight times 22 is 176. That I know. So, he begins, the writer begins with their letter A, which is Alpha. And he gives eight verses to that. We're going to kind of go through this in time. It's not really critical, just sufficient for you and me to know that the Word of God has been given primarily through the word of, to, to lead us to an understanding of God. Let me, let me explain this, please. Let's see how the writer of this particular psalm, this chapter, begins this passage. Psalms 119, verses 1 and 2. Watch. He says in verse 1, How blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now, there's not a one of us that don't want to be blessed. I don't think. I'm, I'm assuming that all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ or have at least come to church would love to be blessed. How blessed are those whose way is blameless. That's that's another thing that we would want as believers, to be blameless before God. How does it happen? Look, who walks, the end of verse 1, who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 2, how blessed are those who observe His testimony. In other words, His word, who observe His word and who seek Him with all of their hearts. Note, the continual devotion that is mentioned in verse 2, all of our hearts is a continual devotion that we are to have for the Word of God. And we are to seek after it with all of our hearts so that we will be blessed and so that our way in which we walk will be blameless. 
The very first verse of this psalm explains the blessings of being blameless all because of walking in the law of the Lord. Now, it is critical that we understand in the Hebrew what is meant by the word law. The law was regarded in Israel as being basic to their faith just like it is to ours. But let me be clear about the law of the Lord. In the Torah, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books in the Bible called the Torah or the law. The word for law in the Torah is lex, L-E-X. It, it, is, it is what we have formed here in Western culture, our legal system, law. But here in Psalms 119, the word for law does not mean the legal system, but it actually means the teaching or the, or the essence of what comes out of the mouth of God. Therefore, when the disciples, for instance, listened to Jesus Christ teach them, they were hearing the very mind and the very thoughts of God Almighty. When you and I read Scripture, we are observing and having the privilege of hearing from the very mind and heart of God. I tell you, folks, I love you. I tell you I love you all the time. I love you so much. My mom used to say, I love you so much I could eat you with a spoon. I used to, I heard that all the time. My mom loved me so much. I love you folks so much I could eat you with a spoon. And I say that to you because you afford me the privilege to go home even today and to get into the Word of God, to study the Word of God, to do that as my job. Oh my gosh, you as my job, asked me to study the Word of God, something I would want to do anyways. And there are times, I promise you, I'm not saying this for any credit, I'm just saying to you, uh, there are times when I'm studying during the week where I have to move away from the table because I weep, understanding that I am listening to the very mind and the very heart of God. And He is asking me to be faithful, to study these words and to pass them along to the next generation. And you don't think that's a wonderful privilege? You don't think that's an awesome responsibility? It is the most wonderful privilege that anyone could ever be given or afforded in their lifetime to be able to say, I am listening to the heartbeat of God Almighty. I am listening to His thoughts. And I'm trying to understand His thoughts so that I can best pass them along to you so that you can pass them along to your children and so that your children, when we are no longer on this earth, can pass it along to the next generation. And so it is. That is exactly why this psalm is called by so many great. It's not the length of it. It is the content. Because the reader is hearing the very law, the very teaching, the very mind, the very heartbeat of God as God speaks to them the words that they are to teach to others and others teach to others. And so, folks, let me tell you, your responsibility, my responsibility is great to come to church and not to study the Word of God to go all week as Craig so beautifully explained to us and not read your Bible during the week is a travesty. 
to think that you would open up your Bible and to hear the mind and the heartbeat of God, it, it goes beyond any imagination. My agenda is to, is to excite you so much. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to try and do so you'll know. So it's not phony. I'm going to try to excite you to want to know the Word of God so desperately that you will look at Psalms uh, 119 verse 14 the writer says I have rejoiced in the ways of your testimony in other words your word your law as much as in all riches look at verse 72 of this great chapter the law he says of your mouth in other words what comes forth from your mouth your heart your thoughts your mind is better to me than a thousands of gold and silver pieces Look at verse 127. The psalmist writes in Psalms 119, verse 127, Therefore I love, I love your commandments. I love it above gold. Yes, above fine gold. I want you to have that heartbeat. I want us to be in our first love experience with the Lord and not lose that, that, that wonderful love affair with the Bible and to know... The Word of God is more precious to you and me than gold. Yes, more precious than even fine gold. Look at verse 103. The writer says the Word of God. He says, look, in verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, he says. Yes, they're sweeter, <clears throat> they're sweeter than honey to my mouth, he writes. That's my agenda. By the grace of God, if the Lord will allow me, and I pray for it all week long, I want this excitement of the Word of God to roll over to your heart so that you would think of the Word of God more greater than riches, so that the Word of God would be sweetness to you like honey on your lips. That's what, this, that's what church is really all about. It's not so that you come here and hear a message that makes you feel good about yourself, it's so that you start to comprehend the mind and the heart and the thoughts of an almighty God. And you will not get to know the mind and the heart and the thoughts of your God until you get to know the very word of God that is more precious than gold. Yes, even fine gold and is more sweeter than honey to the taste upon your lips. That's my agenda. That's my race. I'm running this race so that by the grace of God you might find that love like Craig mentioned I think Craig would tell you some weeks or months or years ago, he wouldn't have had that same heartbeat that he has today. It has been the Word of God that has literally changed his life for the better. Father, please. Oh, I beg of you, Father, please. Let us, let us sense the the urgency that you place upon our hearts to know and to love you, to, 
eat upon your words like it was honey, to treat it as if it were gold, silver, fine gold, better than riches. Oh, Father, open up our eyes, our minds, and our hearts that we might behold wonderful things from your law, your teaching, your heart, In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I love you so much I could eat you with a spoon. (laughs) Have a great day. I love you folks very, very much.